Here we are again, talking about Calvinism. This is Calvinism Part 2. Join us as we finish what we started two weeks ago. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is Podcast 063, Podcast 63, and today we want to have a biblical conversation with you about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. So let's get started. All right, Keith, so part two of Calvinism. Let's just talk about kind of what's the big deal with it? Why is it such a a hot-button issue that people love to... Uh, kind of pick at or take sides and, and really um, they either want to be for it or against it. What's what's going on here? Well, that's a great question, Mark, and, I'm, and that's why we've come back to this, because it is an important issue. We talked about this the last time. There's a lot of misunderstanding about Calvinism. You say that word and people shudder, and not so much misunderstanding sometimes as misinformation. But the big deal, the real issue, I think, for many, is the idea of election and predestination. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely, I think, where people will want to really draw those hard lines. And so, so why is that such the big issue, that election and predestination? I think there is the sense, the human sense of fairness or unfairness. Human beings sitting in judgment of God inadvertently think that the idea of election and predestination, individually or collectively, are somehow unfair. But I think what happens is, is that good people start with wrong assumptions. And they, these ideas come preloaded with misinformation. Uh, see, there's, I think there's too much of a lack of good teaching today. And because of there's a lack of good teaching, people fail to understand the human condition. And by that, I mean what it means to be fallen, what it means to be dead in your sins and trespasses. And then there's issues like terminology, Calvinism, Arminianism. The reality is what we're talking about here is Christianity. You're not going to find the name Calvin or Arminian anywhere in the Bible. And then there's this other lack of understanding because the Arminians believe in election and predestination as well. And that's what we talked a little bit about last time. Everybody believes in election and predestination. What they differ on is on what basis. And what I'd like to do for a moment is to kind of set the right understanding of the fallen human condition, what human beings are apart from Christ. And you'll find the text I'm about to read from also in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. But what I want to do right now is to read to you from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. And it's talking about Jews and Gentiles and salvation and who's better off and who's not better off. And Romans 3.9 says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Now watch this. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
So think about this. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks for God. And if you look up the word no one there in the Greek, it means no one. And then there is no fear of God before their eyes. That is fallen humanity. And fallen humanity will not come to God in and of its own initiative. Which brings us to Romans 8, 5 through 7. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind, because the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this is where people sometimes forget that we are, as it says in Ephesians 2, dead in our sins and trespasses. We are lifeless towards the things of God. We don't seek for God on our own. No one does. We don't fear God apart from his intervention in our life. And we are hostile to God. We will not submit to God. We cannot. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, consider these implications. Consider the implications of what the Scripture says here. Humanity and human nature are bent away from God. They do not seek God. They are hostile to God. They will not and cannot submit to him. Okay, so I think those are really good. I mean, I, I love Romans. I think Romans is just so beautifully done by Paul and, and the way that he does it. But what what do you say to those people who would say, okay, well, you're just getting all of your information from one book of the Bible? Well, that would be a mistake. So let's understand the human condition more fully. And I think we've talked about this before, you and I. And I want to go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 where the Bible, God, is talking about the nature of the human heart. And it says in Genesis 6, 5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is the lead-up to the great flood, where God wipes everybody out except for eight souls, Noah and his family. After the flood, in Genesis 8.20, we read this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. I want you to think about that. That's human nature. His intention, the intention of mankind's, of humanity's heart is evil from its youth. That's human nature. And, and so how is it that some people think that we can save ourselves, that God looks down the corridors of time and chooses some of us based on our decision to choose him? That would be works salvation. That would require a change in human nature. And Jeremiah 13, 23 speaks to the plausibility, to the feasibility, to the possibility, to the probability of humanity changing its nature on its own. And in Jeremiah 13, 23, we read this. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. We cannot save ourselves. We are hostile to God. We do not seek for God. Therefore, God chooses to intervene in our lives. Okay, so I think that uh, does a pretty good job at letting us see kind of that holistic view of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, just that idea of man's depravity 
uh, is is really interwoven and in throughout the Bible. And I would almost uh, venture to say that uh, you know Calvinists and Arminians, you know, if you want to be in the two camps, they uh, they'll agree on this depravity of man. But uh, another question that I hear a lot is, well. It's not fair that God chooses people and he doesn't choose others. And that's that's not fair. That doesn't sound like a God that I want to serve. So what do you say to those people who say that's not fair? Well, there's a couple of things here. Number one is be careful about passing judgment on God. Number two, what is fair? Fair is that all perish, that none are rescued, that none are saved. Grace is that God treats us better than we deserve. And so if you think about it, if God didn't intervene— we would all perish. And that would be fair. That would be just. But God chooses some. You know, you, you read about that throughout the Bible. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around it as sinful creatures. But when you think about our decision to embrace Christ, and the Arminians and the Calvinists do disagree a little bit on this, the Arminians tend to function as if man is not totally dead in his sins and trespasses. That's a whole total depravity thing, which doesn't mean that mankind is as bad as he can be. It's just that he's not good enough to be righteous before God in and of his own strength. Jeremiah 13, 23, Genesis 8, 20, Genesis 6, 5, uh, Romans 3. But the bottom line is, is when you think about it, none of us ever said prior to our salvation, Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to our sin. No one ever did that. In fact, Jesus talks about this in John 6, which we covered two weeks ago. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father first draws him. And Jesus says in John 6 that no one can come to him unless it has been granted by the Father. Now, what I want to do to illustrate the the nature of this is to go back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24, we get a glimpse of this verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice that I will, I will, I will. So who's taking the initiative here in restoring Israel? Well, that's God, right? Well, that's right. Now, let's go a little bit further back and talk about God's choice of Israel. Why did God choose Israel to be his covenant people? How did Israel, on what basis did Israel become God's chosen people? The answer is, is in Ezekiel chapter 16, and I want to start in verse 1. And I want you to listen to this, because this this is a picture of how God chooses us. It's analogous to that. And in Ezekiel 16, 1, we read this. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother was a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Verse 6, And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, 
live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness and made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Verse 22. And in all your abominations and whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. So what's going on here is God is chastising verbally Israel for abandoning him and walking Israel back into the distant past about his choice of her. Why did he choose her? Because of something in her that made her special? No, she was like an abandoned infant cast out into the field. No one cleaned her up. No one cut her umbilical cord. No one rubbed her with salt to to keep her from infection. No one wrapped her in swaddling clothes to keep her warm. And he looked at her and of his own volition and of his own choice said, live. And he emphasizes it twice in the passage. God does the saving. Human beings have nothing to do with it. They don't deserve it. They don't warrant it. And that's why you have Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You know, by grace were you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them that he prepared beforehand. It's not about Calvin or Arminius. It's about Jesus. It's about his teaching. It's about God and his sovereignty. It's about God and his grace, his unmerited favor. If we boast in anything, we can boast in the Lord because we were like Israel, unlovable, unloving, helpless, dead, as good as dead in our sins. But God, with the great love, with the great grace with which he saved us, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. And so with the Calvinist and the Arminian, they might differ on the reason for our predestination or election, but Jesus has already taught about that. It's not about Calvin. It's not about Arminius. It's about Jesus. You cannot come to him unless the Father first draws you, the Father takes the initiative. You cannot come to him unless it has been granted to you by the Father. And so really, yes, predestination and election, it's not about Calvin or Arminius. It's about Christianity. It's about what Jesus teaches. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. And all of this is at the initiative of God. Yeah, that, you know, just listening to that, it almost sounds like a pretty hard pill to swallow uh, for for some of us, and especially just just hearing, you know, God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. And it's it seems like that's, you know, a really hard pill to take. Well, it's a, it may be a hard pill to take from a human perspective, you know, from an under-the-sun perspective, from sitting here on planet Earth with all of our misconceptions and preconceptions about God. God has revealed himself in the scriptures clearly and unmistakably. So while it's hard to take, it should be easy to receive and it should be received with gratitude. That it says in Titus 3, 5, it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, it's by his grace that he saved us. But let me just add this. It's not worth dividing over. We can agree to disagree. And this is the problem is sometimes we, we want the other person to come to heal to us. This is about submitting to God's word and God's will, not submitting to Keith Crosby or Mark Stickler. And so it's not worth dividing over. It's not worth ending friendships over. It's not worth splitting churches over. And let me, let me tell you the story of J- John Wesley and George Whitfield. So they ministered together in Georgia 
Uh, they founded an orphanage there. Uh, they ministered together in the coal mines of Wales. Uh, they were part of the first great awakening. We can't even conceive of the thousands of people that they led to Christ. Wesley was an Arminian. He believed that man wasn't totally dead. He believed that man could be perfected, and he believed that man could embrace Christ on his own volition without divine intervention from God. Whitfield was a Calvinist. He believed that, that man was dead in his sins and trespasses, and were it not for divine intervention, nobody would be saved. But you know what? They ministered together long and hard. And later on, years later in London, England, somebody asked Wesley if he expected to see a Calvinist like Whitfield in heaven. And Wesley's answer was surprising. He said, no, he did not expect to see Charles Whitfield in heaven. And they said, aha, because he's a Calvinist and you're an Arminian and you don't believe he's a Christian. He goes, no, not at all. He goes, there are degrees of reward in heaven. And those who, are, who have the greatest reward are closest to the throne. And I expect that George Whitfield will be right there on the front row and I'll be on the back row. And so I will not see him for the crowd that stands between us. This is the attitude that we should have, really. It's not about cage-fighting Calvinists. It's not about running the the Arminians out of the church. It's about loving God and our neighbor. Me? I'm not a Calvinist and I'm not an Arminian. I'm a Christian. I believe in election and predestination. But I don't divide with those who think differently than me. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I think about this whole argument, uh, one of the things that just keeps coming back to me is this whole idea of obedience. Um, we are to be obedient to what God has called us to do. So, you know, Calvinist, Arminian, those are, are artificial divides that are that are essentially extra biblical. Um, but for us, our job is obedience and being obedient to exactly what Christ has called us to do. And so uh, why don't we, as we start closing up here, Keith, why don't you leave us with some uh, final thoughts and maybe talk about uh, your own history on this, where, you know, uh, as you've kind of worked through all of this Calvinist, Arminian, and all of these things, um, as you've grown in your walk. Sure. Well, growing up as a new believer, I was a committed Arminian. I believe that God looked down the corridors of time and chose us based on our choice of him. And I ended up in this church where I didn't realize it because I was you know, young and undiscerning and my wife and I were newly married. We ended up in a church and we figured out they were all a bunch of Calvinists. And so eventually I left the church. I took me and my wife and my newborn baby out of that church because I didn't want to be wrapped up with those Calvinist types. And then to uh, help the pastor and to set him straight, I took my Bible and my concordance and I looked up every word, chose, chosen, elect, predestined, ordained, foreordained. I went from Genesis to Revelation. It took me months and months to do that. And at the end of it, I came back to my wife and I said, boy, oh boy, we left this church and I think they were right. And the passage that really got me in the end was Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And let me read it for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Stop there. Okay. Things on earth. Okay. So when I look at that, and then when when this rolls into Ephesians 2 about being dead in our sins and trespasses, and as I read the Gospel of John, I put two and two together and figured out that I had nothing to do with my salvation. It was the gift of God. I, I didn't warrant it. I didn't merit it. And I was sorry that I had been rough on my previous pastor, that I had taken my wife and child out of a Bible-teaching church, and that I had chosen to divide over that issue. And so I just want to be really careful because the Bible clearly teaches predestination and election. It is not worth splitting a church over. It's not worth going to war with other Christians over. Arminians and Calvinists, if there's such a thing, have one thing in common. They are united by the same commission— Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. For lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Or in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. You know, this is it. This is why we're here. We're not here to divide over secondary issues. We're here to unite around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what I think you need to know about Calvinism and Arminianism, what, what I believe is Christianity, that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but God chooses to save some, that we choose to rebel against God, that's free will, and that he chooses to save some despite our free will, despite our re- rebellion, to, despite our rejection. Yeah, I mean, I for one, and, and much like you, I, I am very... Uh, thankful that God chose me uh, despite all of my shortcomings and all of my failings. And so I have one last question. Uh, are people born saved? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people say, well, if it's predestination and election, why evangelize? Because they're, they're already saved. You know, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, as the Bible says. But here's the deal. Until the Spirit quickens your heart, Until you hear the gospel, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2 makes that very clear. God allows us the opportunity to worship him and serve others through evangelism. And so evangelism is the catalyst that activates the quickened heart. Uh, The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our sin and the gospel enables us to be saved. And so we have a role to play. That's why you have the Great Commission. That's why it's a command in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We have a part to play in the salvation of others. God has raised us up for such a time as this to change this world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. Salvation is his job. Evangelization is our job. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like additional resources, uh, you can go to our, our resource page at www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. If you have questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit us online at www.hillside.org. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11. In the meantime, whatever your podcast platform, give us a good rating, comment on us, 
Share us with others. Help us expand this ministry. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.